We are uh, we're continuing our series this morning. If you'd like to follow along in, in, the, in the notes, feel free to do that. We are talking about divine direction for our lives. This is one of the most critical things people who are trying to follow the Lord look for. If we're trying to follow Him, we want to know what He wants us to do. What does God want me to do? And that's a question that we often ask. God, what do you want me to do? And we've been talking about how God does want us quite possibly to do things, but He is more interested in who we are than what we do. The who becomes comes before the do. And we're, we want to know, you know, God, what is it? But God says it's the why before the what. Um, last week we talked about how we need wisdom to discern what God wants us to do. And the Bible gives us dose and dose and, and, and so much wisdom in the, in the Word of God. There's actually a whole section in the Old Testament called the Wisdom Books. Do you know, do you know that? Right? Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Psalms. Um, these books are, are there, and there's wisdom to be had in the Word of God. And so God will give us wisdom, and we can look at His Word. But sometimes we need wisdom that's not in there. Should I take this job? Well, let me look in Proverbs. Well, then talk about a job in, in Proverbs. So what do I do? And so we looked at how do we need wisdom to discern, and God gives us wisdom in, in, in a number of ways. And uh, we have been uh, recording the messages. If you missed a message, we are actually now podcasting. We are on iTunes. You can look us up. Nope. Download it on your iPhone if you want to listen to it on the way to work or something like that. If you want to catch back up on one of these series, you can look us up. We're Central City Church, Lexington. You'll pop right up. So look on your podcast app there. Um, but this week, we're going to look at um, how we can trust the process. Trust the process. And, and so last week, we did talk about how life is becoming more complicated. Don't ever feel that way. Life is getting challenging, more challenging, more challenging. It's not as easy as it used to be. And when we looked at how there's so many more choices, that's part of the reason. Today we have so many more options in front of us. And the more options we have, studies show that the less um, satisfied we are with whatever we chose. So if you have 27 different uh, jars of jam to pick at the grocery store, and you're like, I think I'm going to go with this. Unless you just know the one you like, um, you're going to be less happy. Uh, I know that's true of Netflix. You, you flick, you know, I never should watch anything. I just scroll. I just keep scrolling. Keep scrolling. You know, I don't want to make the wrong choice, watch the wrong things. I just keep going. I'm checking Rotten Tomatoes, and this, no, I can't watch that. That's not good. So, so we have so many choices, and, and with, with more options. And, and, and so the other thing we're talking about was how there's this illusion of, of perfection. Many people want to make the right choice and fear making the wrong one so badly that they're paralyzed. And I'm, I'm going to look at it for a second. Um, there's an article in Forbes. If you, want, if you could look this up if you want, it's called Career Paralysis. Career paralysis, and this is uh, uh, talking about how young people, millennials specifically today, are, are so afraid of, of making a mistake in their career uh, because there's so many options available. I could do this, I could get a graduate degree, I could travel abroad, I could do this, I could get in their 20s. So many options available that uh, they're afraid of making a mistake and doing the wrong thing, getting down the wrong path, that they, they're almost paralyzed and can't do anything. In prior generations, maybe you think of your parents or maybe even your generation, my grandparents in the Depression era, they just got a job. If they got a job, they were happy. Both of my grandparents worked at the Zollner Pistons factory in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Both of them did. Worked 30 years and got their pension back in the old days. And um, that's what they did. I don't know that they enjoyed it. I don't know. It was everything they ever wanted to do with their life. It was their dream come true. Um, I know one, I think it was my, my mother's father measured the inside ring of a piston every day. It's the right size, quality control. <laughs> I mean, you know, is that your, you, you go to school, my dream, I measure the inside ring of a piston. 
That, that, but that, you know, I never heard him complain once. He never complained. That was his job. He did it. He retired. He went on and worked in his garden when he was retired, you know. So uh, it, it was a different time. A different, it was easier. It was simpler. You just got a job. You paid the bills. You raised your family. That was it. Now, you know, my, my parents' generation, and they told myself especially, hey, get a good education. It's not just being in the factory. Hey, you never go to, go to college. Get an education, and then you'll get a good job, and everything will get flow from there. Uh, nowadays, it's not even just get a good education, because you can get a good education, and that doesn't mean you get a good job. So now it's, well, which education? Should I get a graduate degree? Should I? And it gets so much more complicated for people. And even on top of that, we start asking kids, well, don't just get the job, because maybe my generation, or, or my parents, they got in jobs they didn't really like. My dad was a computer programmer. He worked at, you know, North American van lines and some other places and just programmed. I remember going visit him and there's smoke all the workplace. He's like, I'm like, oh, well, he's programming, programming away, whatever. But, you know, did he like his job? He always come home and talk about this guy. I remember his kids talking on the table and like, I don't know that he liked his job, but it was a good, it was a decent job. It provided a good wage and, and we did okay. But now it's like, what do you love? What's on your heart? What's your passion? What, do you, what are you into? You know, so, so do that and, and go get your, you know, I'm passionate about literature. I'm passionate about drums. So I'm gonna get my drum education. But then what do I do with this? So now we have so much more. And so we think, especially young people today, think if I get a good education, maybe I'll find something that I love, something that makes a difference, and something that makes a lot of money. So I can get all that right when I graduate. But what, what we're talking about today is trusting the process. So what, what's challenging sometimes is to understand the process to get to that place of, of where we want to be. Maybe we want to have a job where we, we love what we're doing and we feel like we're making a difference and we're making money and all these sort of things. But maybe there's a process to get there. Maybe God's leading us through different things and that won't happen immediately. I, I, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I know Darrell's been in the process of studying, education, doing this, doing that. I know he's trying to get somewhere, but God is leading him in the process. And it's not as quick as we'd like it to be sometimes and it's not as easy as we want. I don't know if you follow basketball. I got to throw a basketball illustration. I was at a tournament in Spartanburg at the Upward Sports facility. Have you ever seen this place? It's, it's crazy. It's insane. This Upward Sports facility in Spartanburg. Six different courts. This massive thing. I was up there yesterday. So I got to talk about basketball just for a second. Hear me. Uh, if you follow NBA, there's a team that was the 76ers in NBA. And there's this quote about the 76ers that they're talking about. Trust the process. The process for them was to be terrible for year after year so they could get good draft picks and then eventually they'll be good. That's what they're on. So that's what that was this phrase, trust the process. Even call one of the draft picks, his name is the process. One of the players that plays for him, he's the process. So we're talking about God's process, not tanking for year after year. You know, we're just gonna tank for five years and then all of a sudden we'll, we'll, we'll just want to try and then all of a sudden we'll get to where we need to be. That's not God's process. We're gonna look at God's process this morning. And the scripture we're gonna look at you want to turn your Bibles, you can look at the sheets. Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. This is God's process. God has many processes. So this is not like we've boiled it down with one way that God works. But this is something in the Bible. So we can look at this and understand what God was doing with Paul. And I think we can learn something from it, glean something for our lives. So this is four aspects of God's process, especially here in Paul's life. And I think we'll look at it in our lives as well from time to time. Uh, the context of this scripture is... Uh, Paul being on his third missionary journey. The book of Acts uh, is about the early church and the foundation of the church. Um, and Paul becomes a, a key character in the early church. And he goes on missionary journeys and he establishes churches in, in Asia Minor and in Europe. And this one, he's on his third journey and he has gone to a place called Ephesus. We have the book of Ephesians. 
talking about the people of Ephesus. And so he has gone there, and he's established this church, and this has been one of his most successful, uh, long-lasting visits. He's, it says in, in Acts 19.10, I believe it is, that he was there for two years. So he was there longer than normal because he's just kind of getting them going and going to the next place. But he stayed for two years, got to know these people, have great relationships. He, he, he went deeper with these people than he did with the others, and he just had a wonderful time. The spirit was moving. People were experiencing miracles. And, and, and yes, there was opposition as well. But this was a good, a good season of life for Paul. But we read in the scripture that Paul now feels a nudge from the Holy Spirit to move to a new place. And let's read this here. It says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. From this passage, let's look at four steps to the process that Paul is through and the process God may be in our lives. And the first one is this, the Spirit's prompting. The Spirit's prompting. It says in verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit. In, in the original language, which is this written in Greek, it's, it's, it's written as deohonuma. Deo means to, to wrap, to tie, to bind. It, it's, it's like a cord that's pulling you in a certain direction. This is what Paul is saying, that the spirit, pneuma is the, is the word for breath or, or breeze or current spirit. Um, is the spirit is binding, wrapping me, and pulling me in a direction. The Holy Spirit has, has his grip on me and is pulling me in a new direction. I don't know if you, you go to the mall, I don't try to go there too much, but you, you smell the Cinnabon. Ever smell the Cinnabon? That's a day of home new You smell the cinnamon. You're like, ooh, where's that at? I'm going that direction. They pump all those scents out into the mall just so you follow after. Or here's even better. When my daughter makes uh, oatmeal raisin cookies. I'm doing great. My life's fine. I'm trying to lose a little weight. You know, stay in shape. And she makes oatmeal raisin cookies. I have a day of home new moment. And I'm going over to wherever that cookie pan is or wherever she puts them. And I'm going to pull a few out. And I constantly am doing that throughout the day. I'm just getting pulled by, by the, the cookies that she's made. I don't know if you ever you're with me on that, you know? Certain things. You know, I love where I am. It's, it's, I'm, I'm doing okay, but now I feel pulled and compelled in this, this new direction. The Spirit is pulling and drawing me. As a follower of Jesus, we must be on our guard for these Deo-Homuma moments where the Spirit prompts us to maybe change course on what we're doing. This could be a big thing. It could be a, a massive thing. Maybe moving to a new location. Um, it was about four years ago. Cassie and I were, were sensing the spirit prompting and pulling us to move here. We were living in Virginia for seven years. We were at a church that was uh, pretty substantial size. Uh, we had a, a nice position there. We had built a youth ministry, we had built a youth room out of uh, you know this remodeled this area. It was really nice. We had game rooms and all this cool stuff going on. Everything was great. Our kids loved it there. They had friends. Um, we, were, we were doing we were doing great in life. We just felt a, a, a drawing on our heart to that God was pulling us back to South Carolina. That God was moving us here for a reason. And, and, you know, talking with Carrie, talking with what was going on. It's like, you know, we feel just kind of compelled by the Spirit to move there to help him. And we didn't have all the details planned out. He's like, you know, I don't even know what we pay. We can try to piece some stuff together. We can try to help you out. We're just, and we just felt, you know, normally I'm a very logical, you know, all right, let me, give me the budget. Give me the plan. But you, we just felt compelled. You know, this is where we need to go. This is what we need to do. This is, a, this is a movement of God in our lives. We need to go there. 
And, and it's interesting. It didn't, when I came here, it did not go like I thought it would go. I came here thinking, okay, now we're going to do this and that. And, the, and it, this is not gone exactly as I anticipated. But it doesn't mean that the Spirit hasn't brought me here, my wife here, my family here for a purpose. And so God will do that in your life as well. He will draw you and then you get there. You thought it was going to be like this and it wasn't like that at all. But God is still bringing you there. He still has a purpose, still has a plan. He still has a reason for what he's doing. You know, it could be in a small thing. Sometimes God will just prompt our hearts maybe to send a text to someone. Hey, are you doing okay? Hey, how are you doing? Or maybe it's not the text. He's just picking up the phone and calling them. You know, hey, everything good? Checking on people. Just simple little things. Sometimes God uses that to really minister to somebody that's going through something. But we need to be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings in our life. Galatians 5.25 says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We're a church that believes that the Spirit of God is at work in the world. That God didn't just send His Son, Jesus, die on the cross. The Spirit, you know, there in His, his baptism and, and then the Holy Spirit in the book, Acts 2. And, and then we have the Bible and now we're good. We believe that the Spirit is at work today and He's ministering in people's hearts and lives. And he prompts us and leads us. And so we need to be keeping in step with the Spirit. It says in the New Living Translation, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That's how it translates that. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is part of God's process in us. We have to be willing to follow the Spirit's leading. We won't get to where God wants us to be if we don't follow the Spirit's promptings. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. It means to stifle or extinguish or suppress the Spirit. And when we, we feel the Spirit leading us, we have a choice. Uh, sometimes, you know, it may have been the pizza that you had the night before, you know, or the vegan pizza or the vegan hot dog. I don't know what it was. But, you know, so, so we, sometimes we get a little weird about it. And we don't, I'm not saying you got to be kooky about all this stuff. You know, we've met kooky people along the way, haven't we? That are out there. The Spirit's saying everything, you know, every single moment. I mean, but that's, that's probably, you need to get some medicine, you know. I mean, you probably need to get some help. But the Spirit will prompt us and lead us, and we have to be open to that. And sometimes it makes us look a little silly. You know, hey, you know, oh, I'm great, I'm fine. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm awful. Maybe, maybe they just don't want to respond to you. You know, I don't know. But we got to be willing to, to, to walk and keep in step with the Spirit. Um, you know, sometimes we can get it wrong, and I'm not an advocate to be hyper hyper-spiritual, hyper-pentecostal and just, you know, Jesus, Jesus, you know. I mean, that doesn't help people. But we do want to be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying because I believe the Spirit leads His people that way. Um, this week, Mike and I um, and Darrell were in a coffee shop. It was interesting. You know, we were just sitting there talking and then we got up and there's this other table of two people. They're like, hey, man, don't seem like you're having too much fun over there talking and, and you know, whatever you're talking about. We're like, yeah, whatever. We just got into a conversation and it was interesting. The guy that one of the, was an older guy and a younger guy. The older guy, I had just met with this guy's pastor the day before. I was, it was a guy I met about church planting. I met with him Monday, talked to him about his plan at church, and this is the guy that's assisting him in church planting. So we went, what? Okay, all right, yeah, I just met with your pastor yesterday. And we just started talking and, you know, exchanging numbers, and all right, well, let's, let's get a little bit. And this other guy here is a, he's a former NFL player who um, coaches and trains guys in the area, and he's like, oh man, listen, you know, God is there, we're talking, making connections, and like, who knows, I don't know what happened, I'm not saying anything, but we have to be sensitive to the Spirit's prompting, because the Spirit will work things out, and we have these God moments in our lives, 
And we've got to be open to that. We've got to be willing to take a little side, not get too caught up in our track of what we're doing. Because God has things that he's up to, and we've got to be open in our hearts to what he wants to do. Amen. This church planting process that we're going to is getting us out of our comfort zone. And we have to be open to these moments where God may prompt our hearts, you know, I want you to start a small group. I want you to start serving in this way. I want you to do this. This is out of your comfort zone, but this is where I'm prompting you. This is where I'm leading you. I want you to not just attend a church, but help build a church, which is a whole different thing. Amen? Number two, not only is the Spirit's prompting, but there's certain uncertainty. Certain uncertainty. Acts 20, verse 22, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul didn't have a blueprint of his life. He didn't know exactly how it would go down. He didn't have everything planned out. He didn't have a, a business plan for his, his trip to Jerusalem, but he, he felt the Lord leading him, and that's where he was going. In fact, people were telling him, no, 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 don't go there. This is going to go bad for you. There's going to be some problems. Don't go. But he felt the Spirit pulling him, and he didn't know what it would be like, but he knew God would be with him. So often we want God to give us the details in our life. I know I'm that way. I love, I love the details. I get lost in the detail. I love them. But God doesn't always do that. God doesn't always show us his absolute plan for everything. Uh, I remember the movie A Few Good Men. Or they, or was it Tom Cruise or one of those guys? And you can't handle the truth. Oh, okay. All right. It's been a while. All right. But you remember the line, the famous line. You can't handle the truth. Well, maybe God tells us you can't handle the details. If I told you everything, you'd just freak out and clam up and shut down and you would never, you know, maybe we can't handle all the details. Who knows? I don't know. But maybe that's the case and sometimes in our lives, well, God doesn't give us everything because we would just actually have a malfunction. We wouldn't know what to do. I mean, I'm trying to get my son, Dane, to, to get a little pounds on him. You know, he's 70, he's 72 now, 73, 75, okay. That's good, we're working, we're going in the right direction. Um, part of that, we're gonna start working out this summer. We got a little bench press in the garage, and we're gonna start hitting the weights. If I say, all right, Dane, I got this vision for your life. You, you're gonna be benching 300 pounds. I know, man. I get to see that for you. So let me just start, let me put it on. Let's business go. Put that 300 on the bar. Let's go, Dane. I'm not gonna be able to spot him with 300 pounds. I mean, it, it's going to go back. Um, God doesn't wanna put the whole weight of everything he's gonna do in our lives at one time. He builds us, his faith is like a muscle that he builds over time. If I want Dane to get to 300, what do I got to put on now? Where are you at? 50? 30? 45? 60? 50. 50. Okay, we'll start with 50. That may be pushing, but we'll start with 50 pounds in the bar, and then we'll work our way up. And at some point, I bet in high school, if he keeps at it, he'll be benching 300 pounds. He'll look like Chris. Maybe. <laughs> but God, God is going to lead us. Step by step, day by day. Look at, look at the Bible, what it says. Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Amen. A lamp to guide my feet, a light for my path. This is not spotlights on the field, a football field where you can see all the way down to the side. This is not a floodlight out, you know, showing everything. This is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Lord, what's my step you want me to take next? Here's the lamp, here's the light. Amen. I go. God wants us to be obedient in the next step. Obedient in what he's shown us. We want to see steps 4, 5, and 6, 9, 10, and 12. God says, no, what's the next one? Can you be obedient in this step? You know, it's okay to plan. I'm not saying that we can't plan. I think the Bible tells us it's wise to plan. It's wise to give counsel and all these sort of things. But the most important thing is to be obedient today. 
what God is telling us to do today. This is what he wants of us. And I wish as a church I, I, I knew exactly what the whole grand scheme of all this, but maybe that's not, not even important. Maybe the most important thing for us is to be obedient today. As a church, as people, to keep stepping toward what God's calling us to, even though we don't know what it looks like, what it'll be like, or maybe a place that we never imagined. But we're going to keep walking and following him and listening to his voice and following the Spirit's promptings in our lives. Just like we talked about last week, that God will advise us, he will guide us, he will watch over us. That's what he will do in our lives. We have certain uncertainty. Number three, we have this predictable resistance. Predictable resistance. It says this in verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Prison and hardships. Wait a second, Paul. I thought you felt God was leading you in this. Isn't when God leads you, everything is good? Because, you know, God comes into our lives to fix our problems and make everything nice and happy and, and positive. Well... Maybe you watch that television show today, but um, that's not necessarily how it goes. It, it goes good on TV like that. You can take up a nice offering. But the truth is, just because you follow the Lord does not mean your life will not be challenging. In fact, sometimes because you're following the Lord, it becomes challenging. That's what Paul encountered in his life. Um, as far as we know, when he was not a follower of Christ, he seemed like he was in pretty good control of his world. I'll go kill these people. I'll go do this. I'm, I'm, I'm the boss here. He was in control. When God got in control of his life, he no longer was in control. He, he felt, followed the Spirit, and the Spirit led him into prison, led him into this and that, and the other thing, beatings and all this sort of stuff. This, his life did not necessarily get easier, but it got more challenging, but it had more meaning because he was following the one who made it. Predictable resistance. I mean, think about it for you. If, if you shared your faith at work, Share it with your neighbor. All of a sudden, they come with cops. You're going to jail, bro. <laughs> You're going to jail. Think about that. What, how different would that be? Some of those people are, well, they might think I'm weird, you know, or something. They might look at me funny. But, I mean, Paul said, I've faced prison and hardships. For my, you know, my commitment to Christ, this is what my life is looking at. We definitely don't have it that hard. We definitely don't have that much resistance, but we do face resistance. We do face opposition. And it could be said, if we're not facing opposition, that might be the scariest thing of all. But everything is easy and not hard. Maybe it's possible that it's not just a, it's not a sign of God's blessing, although it could be. But maybe it is that we're not really trying to do anything for the Lord. We're just comfortable in our own little world. And since we're not pushing back the kingdom of darkness, we're not making effort. Why would the enemy really care about our lives? I'll leave you alone in your comfort. In your ease. Actually, I could give you much scriptural evidence that that is actually the case. You want to look at the churches, seven churches in, in Revelation. The, the lukewarm church of Laodicea. They were comfortable. They had it all. That was good. And that were actually the worst spot of all. So we have to be careful. You know, the Bible talks about different characters. Nehemiah, when he was striving to build the wall, God is calling him to do this. Did he encounter resistance? Yes, he did. Pushed through. God was with them and they accomplished it. David, anointed by God to be the king. Did he encounter resistance? Yes, he did. Saul's trying to kill him every single day. God, what are you up to? I thought you wanted me to be the king. I thought you anointed him. What, what is this even? What is this? God is preparing him. He's working on who he is before what he does. What about Joseph? Joseph has this dream. I'm going to be this guy. This is going to happen. He tells all his brothers. They throw him in a pit and send him to Egypt. He's a slave. He's in prison. 
There's resistance. But God's preparing him so that he can be who he wants him to be. The Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? Okay, well, we're going to stand for the Lord. Okay, we're going to get thrown in the fire. Okay, well, thanks. Daniel, his, their other little buddy that wasn't there for some reason when they had the, I don't know, he didn't make it to the fire furnace, but he made it to the, the den of lions. And it didn't work out so well. He's praying, and then they throw him in. But God is with him. God leads him through. And God will do the same for us. Yeah, I believe that there is some such thing as spiritual warfare. I don't see a, an angel and demon behind every little chair and rock and book. I don't, I don't know if that's how it all goes down. But I do believe that there's an enemy and there's darkness and there, there's, there's, you know, there's evil and good. And then God is in, there's something going on beyond just the physical. And God talks about this too much in the word for us to, to just ignore it. And so we've got to know that there's an enemy coming at us when we're, we're pushing back darkness. When we're trying to serve the Lord and, and, and advance his kingdom, we're going to encounter resistance. But we also need to know that the greater is he that's in us and he's in the world. Amen. And God will give us the power and the strength to make it through. But we have to trust a process. That in this process, I might be in a point of resistance. But it doesn't mean God's abandoned me, given up on me. But he's with me. And he's going to lead me through to a victory. Amen. This is, this is God's process. Look at Paul. He goes from killing Christians. He's, he's killing people that are following Jesus. God gets a hold of his life on the Damascus Road. And, and he's converted. He, he's blinded. But then Ananias comes and prays for him. And, 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 and God tells Ananias that this is my chosen instrument who's going to proclaim my name. Wow, that's a big calling. Wow. And we know that at the, the end of the story, that's what Paul's doing. We're reading his writings here. Man. He did it. But what was the process? Right after he was uh, knocked down off his horse, blinded, prayed for, converted, baptized, he preaches in Damascus, and everybody turns on him, and they, they have to hide him in a little room and let him out of a bucket out of the window. Remember that old Bible story? I grew up in the church where they had little flannel boards, and you got Paul coming out the window on the flannel board, and he's coming down, and you know, that's how we did it back then. It was pretty cool. You know, I remember that one. I said, oh wow, he's coming out the window. I want to do that. That'd be fun. Like as a little boy, like coming out of the window. But that wasn't good. You don't want to go out of the window. That's not how you're supposed to go out of the city. At, what does he do after he goes out the window? Well, he, he goes to Jerusalem, but then they're like, eh, we're going to send you back to Tarsus, where you're from. And, and the book of Acts shift, shifts back to Peter, and we don't really hear a whole lot about Paul for a little bit. And what, what Bible scholars will look at is, is Galatians 1.18, where it says he spent three years in Arabia. Uh, Arabia, I haven't been there. Chris might have been there. Uh, Saudi Arabia, right? It's not a very nice place, is it? I mean, it's a little warm, uh, a little dry. Uh, might be, though. Uh, so he spent three years there wondering, God, what am I going to preach? What am I going to be your chosen instrument? What am I doing here? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not killing people anymore. I'm not on your path. You know, what, what's the deal here? Three years in Arabia. He, he spins there, and, and it says he's, he, we're trying to piece it together, but it looks like this may be his time of tent making. We're not exactly sure, but then we look at Acts 11.25. Barnabas went to Tarsus. Maybe he came back to Tarsus from Arabia. And he look, it says, go look for Saul. So they didn't even know where he went. Go look for Saul. He's somewhere. We're going to bring him back at this point. It's been a while. Let's get that guy. And, and, and Barnabas tries to start a joint ministry. And this, some scholars think this is about eight years later after his conversion. So eight years go by. Paul's still like, what am I doing? I tried to preach. They kicked me out of the window. And what, what God, what do you want to? And then Galatians, we read Galatians 2.1. It says 14 years later, he goes back to Jerusalem and at this time, he finally has some level of authority in the church. 
So when we look at this timeline, it's, it's a little shady, but we do see that there's a process to God even bringing Paul to a place of authority in the church. He didn't get saved, converted, and all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul, now I'm going to write the Bible. No. He had to go through some hard times before that even happened. And then once he started becoming the Apostle Paul, guess what? More hard times. <laughs> More hard times came. So God has a process for each one of us, and it's not always the process we imagine. It's not how we see it, but he is doing something in us because he wants to do something through us. Amen? And finally this, number four, uncommon confidence. Uncommon confidence. It says this in, in verse 24 of Acts 20. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew the hardships that were awaiting him, but nevertheless, he didn't allow any of that difficulty to distract him from the prize. He wanted to finish the race. He had confidence that God would allow him to finish the race, even through the midst of every hardship he faced. He talks about in Romans chapter 8, but all these things, we are more than conquerors. All these things are not all good things. It's trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. These things are challenging, but Paul says, in all these, all these things, I'm more than a conqueror. And Paul, we know, made a huge contribution. He finished the race, but he had to go through difficulty, and he had confidence that God was with him. He didn't have a plan for the future. The more we read about Paul's life and where he went, sometimes even, even in this text, if you continue to read in Acts 20, he says to the Ephesian elders, I'm never going to see you again. And you know what? He actually does. So Paul didn't know what in the world he was doing all the time. He had an idea, but God was leading him step by step. He didn't have a plan, but he knew that God is with me. God is leading me. God is guiding me. And he will work these things out. He writes this, Paul writes this in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know. How do you know? Oh, we know. Because he had confidence. In all these things, God works for the good. All these things that I don't necessarily want, God works for the good. I, I know this. I have confidence. It's something deep inside that's worked about by the Holy Spirit in us. A confidence that comes from God that he is leading us. He is guiding us. And he will work all things for the good of those who love him. The call according to his purpose. So how does this apply to us today? Where has God placed you? Serve him there today. What is the next step that God is calling you to? Follow him in obedience in that step. Maybe you're in a place where you don't enjoy. You're in a place of life you don't enjoy. Or maybe it's an aspect of your life. Maybe it's your job or, or whatever it may be. Serve him faithfully there today. Trust the process. God is at work. He's doing something in you so he can do something through you. You know, there's a difference between certainty and confidence. Certainty attempts to have a blueprint of what will happen, the exact steps that we need to take. You know, we, we sometimes search the scriptures so we can know exactly, this is exactly what it is. But God will give us confidence in the midst of our uncertainty, confidence to step forward and to follow him in faith. This is what God will give us if we trust God's process in our lives. Lynn, if, if you would come and you just give us some, some music in the background, I'd appreciate that. And we're going to 
just conclude our, our message and our, our time together this morning. Um, and I just want us to, to pray together, to consider these things and how they apply to our lives. What is the process that God is at work in your life? Where are you at in that process? Is the Spirit prompting you? I don't know. This is a very personal thing. It's a very individual thing. I'm not you. God deals with each one of us in different ways. But where is the Spirit prompting you? Could be, maybe we need to consider, am I listening? Am I even opening myself up to the fact that God would lead me that way? That's where it starts. Be just available. Lord, speak to me. I'm here. Sometimes we can get so busy and so bogged down in all of our life and all the stuff we got going on that we don't give God space. We don't give Him our attention. It's not because we're evil, it's just because we're busy. And so maybe today we, we need to just give God a, a few minutes just to, to speak to us, to prompt us, to lead us. Maybe you're dealing with some uncertainty about decisions. Uh, what should I do here? What should I do there? Uh, we all deal with that at some level. I hope that God will give us all clarity, though. Maybe not absolute certainty, but confidence that this is what I need to do. I don't know what will happen. I don't know exactly everything it will look like, but this is where the Spirit is leading me. This is what He wants me to do. And when we face resistance to give us the courage and the faith to continue on knowing that God will work all things for the good. But He's there with us. So let me pray, let me pray with, with us this morning. And just ask the, the Spirit to work in us. Uh, may, you may be here this morning and say, I'm a Jesus follower and I want to be even more sensitive to the day of Numa moments, the, the Spirit of God prompting me moments. I want to be sensitive to that in my life. I want to sense Him and I want to respond. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I know it's probably many of us. I say, Lord, I want to be sensitive to your promptings in my life. What you're leading, what you're doing, how you're guiding. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are our guide. Lord, you're a good shepherd. You guide the sheep. Lord, we, we are here and we want to follow your voice. We know that you are speaking, Lord. We just ask that you would open our ears and you would get our attention. Lord, help us to, as much as we can, remove the distractions in our lives and give you time, give you space. Lord, that you would speak to us and you would prompt us and lead us in your ways. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take notice of every single way that you are prompting us in the big things and the small things. Whether it's reaching out and concern and love for somebody else, whether it's prompting us to maybe give of our resources, of our time, our talents, treasure, whatever it may be. Maybe it's to serve in some way, to pray for somebody, take them out to dinner, to just to show love as you would want us to. God, help us to be sensitive to your promptings this morning. God, I pray for those that are looking for direction in their lives, that decisions are facing. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak. And Lord, that you would bring confidence in our lives. That you are leading us in your ways. And I thank you, God, that you are here. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the mothers this morning. Lord, we pray for them. And God, I ask that you would give them a special 
blessing, a special touch. God, that you would energize them. God, that you would just continue to move us forward as a church, as your people, more sensitive to you than we have been in the past, more available to you than we have been before, ready to do your will, ready to take the next step, ready to be obedient to what you say. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.